Hasn't the worship today been incredible? And the testimonies of our members who have become naturalized citizens, I'm so proud of them. I am so proud. Did you know that in this country, every year it's between 700,000 to 750,000, people become naturalized citizens in the United States of America every single year. And every single year, some of those are our members. So I'm going to ask a different question than Pastor Tony asked a few moments ago. I'm going to ask, if you were born in another country and over the course of your life you have become a naturalized citizen of the United States or you are in process of it, would you stand right now? Would you? At any time, look at this. Good grief. Look at this. It is absolutely amazing. Well, welcome to the United States. I want to talk to you today about what it means to be a citizen of any country, but specifically a citizen of this country. We have a member of our church named Norm Brown who, uh, uh, Norm uh, Mason, uh, a member of our church named Norm Mason, who's just an incredible guy. And he wrote a book, and this is the book that he wrote, The the Political Imperative, An Assignment from God. And in this book, he talks about three institutions that God created, the family and the uh, church, but also government, and how God has used all three of these institutions to bless us, sort of three legs of a stool upon which we stand. And he writes this book that is probably unprecedented of any other books in that it talks about then how you and I can be great citizens of this country. When I came to a conclusion that this was what I was going to talk about, I called Norm Mason six weeks ago. We had lunch together, and I said, let's just talk. You're the guru. He is such a brilliant man, and let's talk about what it means to be a citizen of the United States of America. We had a great conversation. He sent me some things, some ideas, and some understandings, and I've incorporated some of those into my remarks today, and I wanted to give him credit for that. This morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to be a citizen, and I want to build up that in a biblical fashion, the foundation of what the Bible actually teaches us concerning this subject. And the very first thing is simply this concept that government is God's idea. Government is God's idea. That it is God who established government, not people, not mankind, but it is God who established it to accomplish his purposes. Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 from one man. God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and God determined their boundaries. When I think about the Revolutionary War, and quite honestly, so many stories in that day that it was just miraculous that there was no way that 
these revolutionaries in America could have possibly accomplished what they did, but there was such a sense of the intervention of Almighty God. I think about this verse, that it is God who determines nations that rise and fall, and without a shadow of a doubt, He determined that this nation would be one of those, and He has determined our boundaries. It is God who creates government for His glory and for our help. Now, when you read the Scriptures in the Old Testament and New Testament, you're going to always be reading about predominantly kings and emperors. But aren't you so grateful that we live in a democracy where we can be a part of this government, where we can have a hand in what takes place in our country? We are a blessed people to live in a democracy. So how is it that God uses government to be a blessing to our life? God uses a civil government to give us order and give us protection. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 and beginning in verse 1. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God instituted. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. Now, it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul writes this at the time that Nero was the emperor of Rome. If you know anything about history and about especially Roman empire history, you'll know that that name Nero is a horrible name. He was one of the most evil human beings who had ever lived in human history. He would be similar to Adolf Hitler. He was that kind of a man. And yet, here is Paul writing that all authorities are God's servants sent for our good. By the way, it is Nero who beheads Paul in just a few years after this statement is written. It is Nero who killed Peter. It is Nero who sent tens of thousands of Christians to their death only for his entertainment and his own glory. That is this man. And yet, Paul reminds us that every civil servant, every authority is God's servant sent for our good. Now, I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that you wake up tomorrow and there is no government in your city. Is that Sugar Land, maybe Missouri City, Richmond, Rosenberg, in Houston, wherever it is? You wake up tomorrow and there is no government. There is no government in your city, no government in the state of Texas, no government in the United States of America. It means there are no police officers now. There are no firefighters. There's no civil service entities to serve. There are no courts that are available. And when you begin to really grasp what has happened here. There's no army. There is no military of any kind servicing our country. And when you begin to think of it, as days go by, all of a sudden the entire environment goes into chaos. That is exactly what would happen. And with, 
Within a matter of days, you would fear for your life 24-7. You would be waiting for the next person to break in and, and, and the next person just to raise a gun in a store and shoot you, and there would be no ramifications for it. This is why government is so critical, and this is why God says, I created government for your protection, for your security. And so God says to us then, there is something that it requires from us. God gives us the responsibility to submit to the government in which we are a part. See what he says, Romans 13, 1 and 2, everyone must submit himself and herself to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. We are to obey the laws of our government. And it means that any time that we do not, that we are not rebelling against the government only. We are actually rebelling against God. So much so, look at verse 2 of Romans 13. Consequently, he rebels against the authority, is rebelling against God, what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. He is saying that a police officer has a right to give us a ticket or to arrest us when we have done wrong. And that right that that officer has is a right that God has actually given to him or to her. Listen to what it says in Romans 13 verse 4. For he, meaning the police officer and the judge, is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he or she does not bear the sword for nothing. He or she is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And not only that, but the Bible goes to the next step and says, don't do what the law says just because you're afraid you'll be caught if you don't and then be punished, but do it because it is the right thing to do. See verse 5, therefore if it, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So what about bad laws? I don't just mean some law that you disagree with, but I'm talking about what about horrible, terrible laws. There was a day in our country that there was a law of the land that permitted slavery, that permitted an individual to buy another human being and to keep them throughout their lifetime as slaves and treat them any way they chose. And it was a horrible law. There were hundreds of thousands of people that were captured. They were free and they were captured and they were brought across the ocean in the most horrific sort of ships you can imagine. And then they were sold at an auction into slavery. They were beaten, and they were whipped, and they were tortured, and they were used like property. And it took a civil war 
to overturn that law and to free these people. There were times in which they would give birth to a baby, and when that child grew up to a certain age, that child would be sold into slavery to some other person, and they would never see their parents again. It took a civil war to end that law. But even after the law was ended, even after people were freed, African people were freed, and now became African Americans. For a hundred years, they were put down. They were ridiculed and shamed. For a hundred years, sit at the end, at the back of the bus. We don't think you belong here. And on and on and on, they were held back from being able to progress the way they would have progressed. And in the 1960s, it took a civil rights movement to end laws and states that held people back and to allow these people to be equal justice for all in America. It took a man to rise up in his 30s. It still amazes me when I look back what happened in the 1960s. A man in his 30s, Martin Luther King Jr., to arise that God would bring to the forefront. A man who was willing to have the courage and the strength and the fortitude and the amazing mind that God gave to him to stand up and say, enough is enough. And he, he raised up and he caused the beginning of a civil rights movement, but he did it in a nonviolent way. Why? Because he was a pastor. And he was convinced from the Sermon on the Mount, from the teachings of Jesus Christ, that the greatest way to make that change in this country is through not violent means, but through nonviolent means. He believed that Jesus taught that love conquers hate and that peaceful resistance is more powerful in the long run than violence, and he was right. And he ushered in a new beginning in our nation to give justice to fellow Americans. The point I am making with these two illustrations is simply this. When there is a law that directly violates God's explicit law in his word, we must stand up against it in peaceful, civil disobedience. That's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. But it's also what happened in the 1800s. When people rose up in civil disobedience because of the labor law, the child labor laws that were in America at that time, here is a child who is 10 years old, 12 years old, who now is forced to work in sweatshops for 40 hours and 60 hours a week. And it took civil disobedience, rising up and changing the laws to make that illegal in the 1800s. It was also what happened in the early 1900s when people rose up and they fought against the inequality of women in America and they fought to provide freedoms and rights to be able to vote and equal rights of women in the United States to be equal with those of men. These are simply examples of one generation after another generation after another generation in our country who has stood up for the rights of individuals. And one day, it is my hope that the current laws will be struck down which will define an unborn child as being less than a human being. Thus, 
unworthy of civil rights. It is my hope that in America the unborn will one day be protected with laws that define an unborn as a human being, not just as property. And it is my hope that one day the unborn child will have the same rights as born children have. And it will be people on both sides of the aisles who are Christ followers who will stand for the rights of these unborn. Now having said all of this, and having given testimony of times in our country that were wrong and our failures, I'm here to tell you that we live in a great country. And I want to explain to you, I want to show you why. Because I hear today individuals who suggest we don't, and I'm telling you they're wrong. First of all, our American democracy was the first of its kind, greater than ancient Greece. No other nation in the world has allowed this level of human freedom as did the United States 238 years ago. This experiment in democracy has now been copied by many other countries around the world and being successful, but it was only copied for one reason, because it was a raging success in these United States. Second of all, America is truly a great country because of its ideals of freedom and equality upon which it was birthed. Third, America truly is a great country because it has been willing to acknowledge its failures to those ideals when it failed. It has been willing to change when it has been wrong. Fourth, America truly is a great country because in all of its wars on the behalf of other nations, it has never demanded any land in return. Former Secretary of State Colin Powell, and this is a picture of Colin Powell, makes this statement. He says, the U.S. has sent many young men and women to fight in foreign lands on behalf of those countries, but never asked for any more land than is enough to bury those who did not return. This has not been true in human history. It is the first time in human history that a country such as ours went to battle for another country and asked for nothing in return. Today there are nations all over this world that still exist for only one reason. The United States of America went to rescue them and conquered the aggressors against their countries. This is a great country. This is a great country. The fifth reason is because America truly is a great country because it is the first country in human history to have freedom of worship at this level that we experience today. Through its religious liberties, America has sent Christian missionaries to almost every country in the world, almost every country in the world. And today there are billions of people who have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior because of religious liberty in this country that has given birth to so many Christians and so many churches that have sent missionaries around the world. And today so many people know Christ 
because of the religious liberties of this nation. This is a great, great country. So why is it that I still get a lump in my throat every time I give the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America? It is because I know I live in the greatest country in the world. That is the reason. And I believe the greatest country perhaps in human civilization. It is not without sin. It is not without failure. It's not without hatred and it is not without bigotry. And I'll tell you why. Because we have people that live in this country. It is the same in every other country that you could go to. You will find sin and failure and hatred and bigotry. And the truth is the only way you can escape it is to get in a rocket ship and blast off from this planet and go to another planet. But the moment that you reach that other planet, you will be horrified to discover that it now has sin and failure and hatred and bigotry because it has you on that planet. What am I saying to you today? I'm here to testify that my America also has love and forgiveness and freedom and opportunity, and an opportunity that is greater than any other nation, I believe, has ever offered any people. Every time there is a crisis somewhere in the world, Every time there is some disaster that happens, it is Americans that raise money and send manpower and money power to that country to help them. And you can take, you can compare what America has sent to the, that country and, and all, compare it to all the money that has come from all the other countries and we have always given more. It is the way this country is. And every time there is a disaster inside this country, it is amazing to me the money that pours in, the manpower that pours in to go to that place that is injured and we know in Houston because we experienced it in Hurricane Harvey. I'll tell you why this country is so giving. I'll tell you why it is so forgiving. I'll tell you why it is so amazing. I believe it is because of the Christian worldview that this country has operated out of for the last 238 years. And I believe that worldview is what has made this country the great country that it is. I have also noticed something else. I've also noticed that there's more people trying to get into this country than trying to get out of this country. Amen? I say all of these things to say to you, we have the greatest privilege. One of the ways in which we can be a great citizen is to have the responsibility to love our country warts and all and appreciate what God has given us here. Is it perfect? No. The only place it will be perfect is heaven. But between now and the time we get to heaven, 
You and I have a responsibility to help build up this country, help this country continue to mature and grow. And one of the responsibilities that we have is to love and be respectful toward those with whom we disagree. It is a part of citizenship in this country. Now I'm about to say something that probably nobody in this room is going to agree with. The, given the political climate that we're in in this country, probably nobody will agree with, but the truth is I'm going on vacation tomorrow, and I'm not going to look at any emails. So <clears throat> America needs both political parties, not just yours. I know that most in this room believe that if your political party could win all of the elections and then magically all those people of the other political party after the, the election was, was taken would magically disappear from the face of the earth, that America would be a better place. But here is the truth. The only reason America has been this great is because it has had two political parties, each one balancing out the extremes of the other of the other over its 238 years. Both political parties have extremes. And if left to themselves, both parties would both bless and damage our country. It takes the other party to hold our country in balance. It is critical that Christ followers in both parties stand in those parties with biblical values, Christian values. And it's the only way we will turn this country around. Now, I will tell you this. Well, amen. You can clap that. It's not, you're not applauding me. Let me tell you this. There are times, can I just be honest with you? Can I be transparent? There are times in which I look at the other party than mine. And it scares me to death. Can I just be honest with you? It scares me to death about where America is going, what is going to happen. But when I talk to people of the other party than mine, they say to me, but your party scares me to death of where it's going. And I recognize afresh that we need two political parties to help us keep from the extremes from destroying the country that we love. So with that in mind, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to look to the person to the left of you and now look to the person to the right of you. And now I'm going to ask you to look across this worship center, all the way across. Do you see all these people as you look across this worship center? Some of them agree with your perspective of politics, and some of them do not. But here is what is true. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you see them? They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of what God is calling us to do is to love each other, to hear each other, and to receive each other. Now I want to tell you one day we're going to get to heaven and you're going to notice something. There will not be one Democrat or Republican or Independent in heaven. There are only going to be Christians when we get to heaven. 
but between now and then. God has given us a responsibility to love each other and to recognize we are brothers and sisters in Christ and to care for each other and to help each other. We have the responsibility to love and be respectful toward those with whom we disagree. And I will tell you, every person of every party is receiving messages in our media about the other that just isn't true about my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lastly, we have a responsibility to make an impact on our future through our vote. And so you got to vote. You can't vote unless you're registered. If you're a citizen of this country and you're not registered, you can go right out in just a few moments when this service is over, right out into the commons area, and you'll see a table. You can go to the table. You can register to vote. It'll take you two minutes. But don't leave this campus until you're registered to vote. We've got a responsibility to make an impact on our future through our vote. So register to vote and take the time to know what the candidates stand for and vote for those who you believe best fits the Christian values that we hold dear and then hold whoever gets elected accountable. I've mentioned six responsibilities as a citizen to see that God created our country and to be appreciative of it, to obey the laws of this land, to oppose wrong laws that oppress others, to love and appreciate what God has given to us here, to love and be respectful toward those with whom we disagree, and to impact our future through our vote. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to get together today. We don't worship our country. We worship you. But we're grateful for our country, and we see you as the author of it. Oh, Father, may we be found faithful. As followers of Jesus Christ, may we be found faithful to turn the tide where it needs to be turned and to love and care for each other along the pathway. Now, Father, I pray for those in this room who do not know Jesus as Savior, that this would be the moment, the day of their salvation, that they would receive Christ as Savior. I pray, Father, for those who are not members of our church but should be, I pray that this would be the day that they would come and join our church and be a part of our fellowship. Moving hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.